He is risen. Amen. That's our hope. That's our hope. That's how we can live. That's how we can stand assured that all God's promises are true because He is risen. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that today. As a matter of fact, bikurim is the Hebrew word for first fruits, and that's what we're going to address today, first fruits. Remember, when we talk about Passover, people generally say Passover. When you say Passover, it really is a, a combination of a few different feasts put together. You have Passover, and you have the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and then you have first fruits. And then in that time, you're also starting to count, counting the Omer leading up to Shavuot, Pentecost. Okay, so all of this is, is, it's all tied together. That's why they say the spring Moedim, it's not just like one, okay? They all take place here. So, so we're going to talk about uh, first fruits today. We just addressed, past couple of weeks, we've been talking about Passover and unleavened bread. So today we're going to address first fruits. And then next week, of course, is the, the Shabbat before Passover. So we're going to get some things we're going to talk about there as well. All right, first off, Bikorim is the word called first fruits that's given in the scripture. Bekor literally means the first of the crop. So when we say the first of the crop, what do you think that would mean? It's not a trick question. <laughs> it's the first of the crop, okay? So, so it means when the crop comes in, it's starting to do there, there was a first that was set aside, a portion of the field that's set aside, and it was, it was okay, this is what's given to the Father. And why the first? Because the idea is we set to, to Yahweh to give the first of it, because if we give the first, he blesses the rest. Okay, like when they bless the crop, if you say, well, there's the first of the crop coming in, I'm going to take that and I'm going to like store that because I don't have much food right now. What's going to happen to the rest of the crop? See, but we offer to Yahweh and he says he will bless that crop and give us. It's much like the Shemitah years, guys. This is not what we're talking about today, but consider the idea behind the Shemitah years. That in the seventh year, you decide before you're getting into the seventh year that you will observe. And Yahweh says, if you decide you're going to observe, then he will bless the sixth year to give you into the seventh year. But it's actually more than that because you're not planting in the seventh year either. So you're not planting until the first part of the eighth year and then waiting for that crop to come in. Okay, so again, so when Yahweh is saying you're doing this, he, he, has, he, he blesses in the first part because you've made the decision to be faithful. That's like this. And everything that the Father's asked us to do, we have within ourselves that we're going to be faithful, that we're going to do what he's asked us to do. That's called faith, okay? And without faith, it is impossible to please Yahweh, right? So there is a thing called a festival of first fruit, though, okay? There's a first fruit principle that's through the entirety of the scripture, but there is a festival called first fruit, and we're going to talk about these today, okay? Starting in Leviticus 23, talking about all the Moedim, where they're listed in there, Leviticus 23, 9 and 10, Yahweh spoke to Moshe saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land that I give you, you shall reap the harvest thereof, and then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest unto the priest. So first thing to note, he says, when you go into the land, does it say when you go into the land, then you're going to have to plant this crop and they're going to, guess what? The first time they went into the land, they got from the crops that were there. So in other words, Yahweh provided that for them even then. Okay, it's not like when they first went into the land, now they have to plant the crops, now they have to wait, and we can't have anything to eat until, because remember, when they go into the land, the manna stopped. The manna was when they were in the wilderness. When they got into the land, the manna was gone. So what are they going to eat? Well, we got to wait a few months for the crop to come in. No, God, God provided it for them. So he says, when you go in, I want you to give me the first of it, because that's nothing more than an acknowledgement that it's from him. 
He's the one that gave it to us, and we thank him for that. So that's what it's doing here. Now, we see this as well in Exodus 23. Exodus 23, 14 to 16. Three times you are to keep the feast to me in the year, and you shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. You shall eat unleavened bread seven days as I commanded you in the time appointed for the month of Aviv. For in it you came out of Egypt, and none will appear before me empty-handed. And in the feast of harvest, and the first fruits of your labors, which you have sown in the field, and the feast of ingathering, which is uh, in the end of the year when you have gathered labors of your field. So Deuteronomy 16, when it talks about this, it talks about this as well. So we're talking about during the time of uh, unleavened bread, and we're talking about Shavuot, we're talking about Sukkot. And these are the three times where everyone was supposed to go to Jerusalem and go and present themselves before the king and present themselves to the father. So what, were the, what was their responsibility to do with the first fruits as they were coming before the father? Well, very simple. Your responsibility was to set it aside and to bring it as an offering. And when you offered this, how would you approach? Consider for a second. You're bringing the first fruits to the priest, and he, he receives it there at the altar. And, and if it was a, 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 an animal livestock, it would be offered, it would be put up on the altar, whatever. But, uh, and then you also had fruit and different other things that were there. So how would you approach it? Would you go up and go up to the priest and be like, there it is, take it, I'm done now, and then walk away? How would you present it to the priest? See, it's a matter of joy. It's a matter of outpouring of your heart saying, Yahweh has blessed me. He has given me everything that I've got. And so I just want to bless him. And I, I am here today because I want to worship him. And that was the outpouring of the heart in this. So we came and we give it and we give it to the priest. And guess what else we have to do with it? Nothing. The priest does the rest. And that is a great example to kind of cut to the chase of what we're getting at today. That is a great example of Yeshua for us. Because if he is that first fruits that rose from the grave, if he is that first fruit for us, if the first is acceptable and received as holy, then the whole rest of the crop is received as holy. And what did you have to do for it? Nothing. All we have to do is come to him. We come to our high priest. He does the rest of the work. Praise God for that, isn't it? Because what can we do to earn anything from him? There's nothing we can do to earn anything from him. Everything we have is because of his grace and his mercy. So we thank him for that. And in doing so, this is a testimony. Deuteronomy 26, uh, 1 and 2, Parsha Kitavo, we're talking about this. So it, there is a, a thing here that says, so when you go into the land, you're to present the first fruits, right? We read that. But when they first go into the land, how are they supposed to do that? Well, Deuteronomy 26 gives us a little more insight into what happens. So you go into the land, you have the first of the crops, the first of these things, and you're to bring them to the priest. And there's prayer that goes with it. Like I said, when you come before your father, when you come before the king, you come before with a, with a heart that's poured out to him. You come before him with prayer. You come before him with joy and thanksgiving, right? Enter his gates and his courts, how? Thankfulness and praise, Right? So that's how they come before him. So what happens? Deuteronomy 26. And it shall be when you are in the land that Yahweh your God gives you for an inheritance, you possess it and dwell. There you shall take the first of all your fruit of the earth, which uh, you shall bring of your land that the Lord your God gives you. And you shall put it in a basket and shall go to the place that the Lord your God will choose to place his name there. So then they are to bring it to the Kohen. Why bring it to the Kohen? Because consider as well, this was also a provision for the Kohen and the Leviim. Now, everything that the people brought to the temple was to keep the temple running, to keep it functioning, like the uh, Tamid offerings that were given in the morning and in the evening. They had to get those from somewhere, okay? For the Leviim and their families who were to tend the altar, they were to get that from somewhere. Yahweh said that the Levites had no provision in Israel. They had no land. They had nothing. Yahweh said, I am their provision. 
I will be the one. They have no land of their own. So how did Yahweh care for the Levites? He did it through Israel. He did it through his people. And so they, they were to bring this. So Yahweh provided for his servants, and he did by using his people. They had no other inheritance than Yahweh himself. And as they brought, there was a profession of faithfulness that went along with the giving for the first fruit of the land. And many people don't really come to realize that there is in Scripture a prayer that was given for bringing your first fruit. There's a prayer that's associated with it. It's here in Deuteronomy 26. Before we get there, there is a, a first fruit offering that testifies of the goodness of Yahweh. We see this in Numbers 15, 19 to 21, looking at verse 20. It says, it shall be when you eat of the bread of the land, you shall offer up a heap offering unto Yahweh. When Yahweh is given to you, you thank him and, and you return, return that to him. Ezekiel 44, 30, of all the first fruits of all the things and of every, and every oblation of every sort of your oblation shall be the priest. You shall give to the priest the first of your dough that he may cause the blessing to rest on your house. In, in Romans eleven sixteen, if the first holy the lump is also holy and if the root is holy so are the branches you know there was a provision that even as israel made their dough made their challah they would have a portion of that that they would give uh to the levites to the priests why because of that scripture in, in ezekiel 44 i'll so say they would literally of their dough take a portion set it aside and give that to the levites so deuteronomy 26 3 so you shall go to the priest that was in the office at the time and say, I declare today that Yahweh your God I have, have come into the land that Yahweh swore to our fathers to give us. And then the priest shall take the basket from your hand and set it down before the altar, Yahweh your God. And you shall make response before Yahweh your God. A wandering Aramean was my father. And he went down to Egypt and sojourned there, few in number, and there he became a nation, great, mighty, and populous. Verse 6, And the Egyptians treated us harshly and humiliated us and laid on us hard labor. And we cried to Yahweh, the God of our fathers, and Yahweh heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. And Yahweh brought us out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm, with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And behold, now I bring the first fruit of the ground, which you, O Yahweh, have given me, and you shall set it down before Yahweh your God and worship before Yahweh your God." You come before him, you pray, and you set it down, and you worship. And this prayer, consider this prayer. It's not like this is a, God, bless me for all of these things that I'm giving you because you can't do anything without me. <laughs> no, it's not an American prayer. <laughs> okay? It doesn't work that way. So we come before, and this prayer that, that's offered up, guys, this prayer, it's, it's for the people, it's for looking for the people Israel. It's looking for the nation. It's looking for the land and, and thanking God for the work of our hands. It's thanking Yahweh for everything that he's done for us. That's what it is. Even acknowledging that we were oppressed, we were in bondage, we were in slavery. Guys, we were oppressed. We were a slave to sin. We were afflicted by the world and the ways of it. And he set us free. And he provides for us now and every day. And so that's why we thank him. So now Deuteronomy 26, verse 16. So this day, Yahweh your God commands you to do these statutes and ordinances that you shall therefore observe to do them with all your heart and with all your soul. You have avouched Yahweh this day to be your God. Guys, here's the thing that we're charged with. Every day of our life should be this day. This day. Every day of our life. Today, you have said Yahweh is your God. Every day is today. 
Every day when we wake up, we thank Yahweh for giving us our next breath. We thank Him for giving us the life that He has given us. We thank Him for giving us the means to provide in our lives. The, 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 just everything that we can do, He's given us the, the means to do it. The work of our hands, the fact that we can move, the fact that we can breathe, the fact that we have a job, all of this is because of Him. So we thank Him that He is working in our lives. And so we said, this day you have declared Yahweh is your God. So what does that look like? What does it mean when you say, he is my God? I mean, even when you talk to people today, you know, you can't even say, do you believe in God anymore? Because which one? So what are we looking at here? What does it mean to say, I believe in Yahweh. I believe in the creator of heaven and earth. I believe that he is the one that sustains everything. And he sent his son for me. What does that look like? What does that mean? Well, it tells us. So you have avouched Yahweh this day to be your God and that you would walk in his ways. If we say Yahweh is my God, then we need to walk in his ways and that you would keep his statutes. These are the hook that's given in the scripture. What, what's the uh, common translation for hook? It's decree or ordinance custom. And so these are the things that sometimes Yahweh doesn't tell us why. Sometimes he does. Sometimes he doesn't. This is where faith comes in because if we, are we going to do what Yahweh asked us to do just because he asked us to do it? I mean, if we serve him, then we serve him. See, we have this idea that's really prevalent in society today. I'm not going to do it unless I understand it. Well, guys, his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts, higher than our thoughts. His ways, you know, we cannot know fully Yahweh until that day, right? But we're not there yet. We still have faults. We still live in this world. We still have this flesh, right? So we need to learn to walk in trust. We need to learn to just hear what he says and walk with him, right? Much like Yeshua, when he came to his disciples and he called them out, two words, what were they? Follow me. He didn't say, we're going to talk about this to see if you really understand and then we're really going to be on the same page here and make sure that you know what you're getting into. Hey, Matthew, follow me. Okay. Do you think, honestly, that any of these guys really understood what they were in for? <laughs> I guarantee they didn't. But they knew one thing. Yahweh is with this man. I'm following him. So, even when we don't understand, we follow. That's the testimony Job gave, wasn't it? Even when I don't understand, I will follow. All right. So you will keep his statutes and his commandments. Mitzvah. You know, why are they called mitzvot in Scripture? Mitzvot is translated as good deeds, right? Why are they good deeds when literally it means command? Because if we're doing what Yahweh commanded, we're doing good to one another. So if we're doing what He told us to do, we're going to be doing good. Why? Because then we're not working in our righteousness. We're not working in our own ways. We're working in His ways. So if we're wholeheartedly doing what He said, then He's going to be in that, Okay. So, and his mitzvot and his ordinances, mishpatim, and hearken to his voice. See that? The last thing, so, so the words that we have that are written for us, and then lastly, don't forget to hear his voice. Relationship. See, we start with relationship and we end with relationship. We hear his voice, so we follow. So we learn to acknowledge him in all of our ways. Proverbs 3, 5 through 10 says, Trust in Yahweh with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. And in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear Yahweh and turn from evil. Verse 8, and it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor Yahweh with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. And then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. See that? Even in this trusting Yahweh, don't lean on your own understanding. Do all these things. And he throws in there about first fruits. 
Interesting, isn't it? What should we be growing in? Every day, we need to grow in His Word, grow in His Spirit. Be changed a little more every day to be more like Him. That's, how, that's what happens when we follow Him. That's what happens when we keep our eyes on Him. That's what happens when we're searching for Him every day. That means we're going to grow in the things to be more like Him. And what does that look like? Fruit of the Spirit, guys. Galatians 5, 19 to 23. Easy, it's easy to discern this when you look at your life and you're like, so what kind of fruit is there? Here's the thing, though. It takes time to produce fruit, good or bad. It takes time to produce fruit. So in other words, it's your daily things in your life that ultimately produces the fruit. So it's either good or bad. And when you make a course change or make a correction, it's not going to be fixed overnight a lot of times, is it? You know? So even if you go and you prune a tree, it takes a while for that branch to grow and produce good fruit, right? It's the things we're looking at. So the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. These are the things we should be growing in for the fruit in our lives. So we're talking about first fruit. Don't forget, yeah, it's talking about uh, the, the, like these things of giving of, of ourselves, but don't forget giving of your, yourself, your life, your heart is ultimately the thing you should be giving. And as you do that, then you're going to grow to be that rest of the crop that he's called you to. If the first fruit is holy, then the rest of the crop is holy. And that's us, right? And scripture talks about the harvest is ready. That's us, okay? Look, a couple of things. I'm not going to go through uh, all these, but I'm going to give you the scripture references. Exodus 23, 19, again, talking about first fruits. Exodus 34, 22. Leviticus 2, 14, talks about the different kinds of offerings that are there. Numbers 18, 12. Numbers 28, 26, again, talking about the times of first fruits and gathering in together, doing assemblies there. Uh, Ezekiel 20, 40, and we already addressed Ezekiel 44, 30. Okay, just so that you have a little more reference to be able to, to come in and look at these things if you, if you want to do a little more study on that. So for the festival of first fruits, Leviticus 23, 9 through 16, Adonai said to Moshe, tell the people of Israel after you enter the land and that I am giving you and you harvest its ripe crops, there you are to bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the Kohen. And he is to wave the sheaf before Adonai so that, what's the word there? you will be accepted. And the Kohen is to wave it on the day after the Shabbat. On the day that you bring the sheaf, that you wave the sheaf, you are to offer a male lamb without defect in its first year as a burnt offering for Adonai. So you brought it to the sheaf, to the priest, and the priest was to wave before Yahweh. He is to lift it up, okay? He is the one who's supposed to do this. So literally, he is the one who waves it, lifts it up, and the wave offering, the, its elevated offering, literally he was to lift it up, to wave it before Yahweh. Its related word is truma, which is when the person gave willingly of a gift, they gave it to the priest, the priest lifted it up, it means to rise, to raise something up, okay? So what did he raise up? What did he lift up? It's called a sheaf. How many of you guys remember like the old song, you know, bringing in the sheaves kind of a thing, right? So what's a sheaf? What's an omer? <laughs> an omer is a unit of measure. Okay, an omer is a unit of measure. I uh, compare this too to the wilderness. When they were in the wilderness and they collected the manna, how much were they to collect per person? An omer per person, put in a basket. It says even though some would eat more, some would eat less, 
it would all come out to be an omer per person. So again, this was the idea of when we were in the wilderness, when we were looking through and, and just not quite sure about life or not quite sure where we're going, how we just know that we're following him and we had no other provision but him, what did he give us? He gave us an omer every day. And also relates to when Yeshua said, give us this day our daily bread. So what's, what's the give us this day our daily bread? Giving us this day our daily bread is give us today the perfect supply for today. Yahweh, give us today what we need for today. We don't need more. We don't need less. Just give us what we need for today. And consider as well, when, when Abraham lifted up his eyes, when he was at the door of his tent, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Yahweh. And he said, I'm going to feed you. Come have a morsel. And he set out this banquet in front of him. You know how much, how much uh, bread they made, he made for them? An omer. So again, there's this connection in there. What we're doing is essentially, we're giving back to Yahweh what he gave to us. And that's no more, no less. And so the, the idea behind the first fruit, as we give to him, he receives the first, then the rest is considered good and acceptable and able to be used for Yahweh. Now, Romans eleven sixteen 16 says, if the first fruit is holy, then the lump is also holy. So if the root is holy, so are the branches. You see where he goes with that? If the, if the first part is holy, then the rest is holy. The lump is holy. How many of you say I'm a lump? <laughs> Some days I feel like it. <laughs> So if that's it, then there it is. But if the root is holy, then so are the branches. See where he goes? So who's the root? Yeshua's the root. The root of Jesse, we talk about it, right? So if the root is holy, then the branches. And if the first is accepted, then we are accepted. Scripture says we are accepted in the beloved. We can read Ephesians 1, verses 1 through 10 to be able to go through that. I'm not going to read all of that, but I'm giving you the reference so that you have it. Verse 6 says, to give to the praise of His glorious grace in which He has blessed us in the Beloved. He has blessed us in the Beloved. He is our Beloved. And Yahweh received Him. And He intercedes for us. And so because He is doing that, we are accepted. How many people in, in life today just have so many problems in their life because they don't feel they've been accepted? How many people have so many problems and so much turmoil in their lives because they don't feel like anyone loves them? They don't feel accepted. This is what Yeshua came for, so that we would be accepted, so that we would feel His love, so that we would learn to walk with Him. So again, uh, we are accepted. Ephesians 1.9, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in the Messiah as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and the things on the earth. Everything was created by Him, for Him, and through Him. And because of Him, all things exist. The Scripture literally reads in when it talks about that in Colossians, it says, through Him all things consist. You know what that word means, literally? If you go through the translation of it, it means all things that He created are keeping his commandments. Literally, it means tzav, command. What it means literally. So as Yahweh created all things and then he commanded the things that he created, guess what? The heavens and the earth are still doing what they were commanded to do when they were created. <laughs> you know what hasn't? Man, we chose not to. But Yahweh re and he restores. Amen? All right. So understand that if, if, if he is accepted, then we are accepted and we are part of a whole. We're part of a people. You know, and it's, it's hard to see, you know, in America, we don't have an understanding of a kingdom. We're not a kingdom. We're a republic. Okay. So how do we understand how a kingdom works? Get in a kingdom. <laughs> Yahweh's kingdom. He is our king. We are his people. Amen. He is the one that we follow. We are part of the whole that he has set aside. First Corinthians 12, 18 to 27. 
It says that God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. Have fun with this. Look around, guys. Yahweh chose each one of you to be your family. You know the beautiful thing about family? You don't get a choice in it. You didn't choose it. He did. Isn't that wonderful? I'm not being facetious. I mean it. Isn't that wonderful? Because he calls us to be part of his family. He calls us to be a body together. And because of that, he knows how the body is supposed to function. He knows how the body is supposed to operate. And because of that, he will choose different parts of the body to put them together to make one body whole. The thing is, because of that, though, each part of the body doesn't function the same way. It doesn't look the same way, doesn't think the same way, doesn't do the same things. And we often see that as conflict. It's not. We just need to learn to work together. Each part being what they're supposed to be to the glory of the Father. Each part doing what they're supposed to be doing to give honor to the Father so that the body can function and move as a whole as it was created. To, okay? All right. So, Romans 12, 4 and 5. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. Sounds like we just said that recently. So we, though many, are one body in the Messiah, but individually members of, what's it say? One another. See, we're members of Yahweh. We're in covenant with Him. But guys, don't forget that means we're in covenant with each other. See, that's the important thing. You know, you have members of your family you haven't met all over the world. Someday there's going to be a great homecoming, right? Someday we're going to have all of our family together and we can have eternity to find out about each other. But until then, <laughs> but until then, we've got to learn to work together here with the, with, with the body that the Father has put us around and learn to grow. So that why? So that we can be a people to help people out there. People are hurting. People are lost. People, people are looking for Yahweh, but they don't know what's Him they're looking for. And so because they don't know where to find Him, they're looking in all these other places. We need to be a people to show the heart of the Father to the people who need Him. And that's what we're looking at here. So though we are one body in the Messiah, we're individually members of each other. So we've got to learn to work together in that. What happens when parts of the body don't decide to work together? The body is sick. It's not what, it's not what we're called to be. Ephesians 4, 1 through 4. Therefore, I, the prisoner united with the Lord, beg to you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Always be humble, gentle, and patient, bearing with one another in love. Notice it says bearing with one another, not be a bear with one another. I know we all have days, but come on, you know? Bearing with one another in love and making every effort to preserve the unity of the Spirit that comes through the binding power of shalom. There is one body and one Spirit, just as when you were called, were called to one hope. Verse 11. Furthermore, he gave some people as emissaries, some as prophets, proclaimers of the good news, some as shepherds and teachers. Their task is to equip God's people for the work of the service that builds up the body of the Messiah. See that? The task of people who are working in ministry is, is not so that they can work in the ministry. The job is to equip you to do what you're supposed to do so that you can live out there, not for yourself, but for him. Yeah? To be part of that harvesting, right? Okay. Ephesians 5, 20. Always do what? Oh, boy. <laughs> Always. How often? Always. <laughs> Always give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord, Yeshua the Messiah. Submit to one another in the fear of Messiah. This is, again, relation. Learning to work with one another and learning to be accountable to one another and to be responsible for one another, to help each other out, right? 
We are empowered to walk together. Romans 6, 1 through 13. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? See that? If we repented, if he's forgiven us, then he's called us to live above the ways of the world. And that's what this is talking about. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized in the in Messiah Yeshua were baptized into his death, and we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as the Messiah was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Verse 5, for if we have been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in resurrection like his. So you know we're talking about that first fruit. What happens when you bury the seed? It dies, but it, it miraculously springs to life. And when it dies, does it produce one more seed? No, it produces a multitude of it, right? So because we died with him, we are resurrected with him. And because we live and he's alive, that changes us, right? Where am I at? Verse uh, 5. If we've been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So we know our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. So now we, if we have died with Messiah, we believe that we will also live with him. So we know that Messiah being raised from the dead will never die again and death no longer has dominion over him. Verse 10. For death, the death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Messiah Yeshua. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. That which you submit yourself to is that do you serve. If you submit yourself to sin, that's what you serve. If you submit yourself to Yahweh, that's who you serve. See? So... Because we have died and he is resurrected, we're resurrected with him. Guys, when you give your life to Yeshua, he's old things, buried, dead, gone. And now it's resurrected, all things new. So we look at this, Galatians 3, verse 6, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Guys, here's the thing. Abraham believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness. What did Abraham do to earn anything from God? Nothing. He believed him and it was counted to him as righteousness. Define belief. He had faith. Yahweh spoke to him and he responded. Yahweh spoke. He said, okay. He believed and he followed. It's kind of like when we read, you know, we're talking about faith. It's the great faith chapter in the scripture, Hebrews 11, right? If you read through that entire chapter, it's, it talks about faith and how people, did, how people had faith. And it says, because of faith, so-and-so did something. In other words, like James says, you have faith? Great, show me. That's what we're talking about. So Abraham believed God. It was counted on him as righteousness. He was Yahweh redeemed him, saved by grace through faith, but it's always been that way. It's never been any other way. That's how Abraham came to faith. That's how King David came to faith. That's how all the people in Scripture had faith in Yahweh. They believed, therefore they followed. So, Galatians 3. Abraham believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. See that? It says that, that Yahweh proclaimed the gospel to Abraham saying, so he defines, he proclaimed the gospel to Abraham. Well, what did he say the gospel was to Abraham? Through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. How? It's, even Abraham, the people, I mean, they claim Abraham is the father of faith, right? He's an example for us to follow. And he is because he believed God and he followed him. Much like when Yeshua said, follow me, same thing. So what happened with Abraham? 
verse 13. So the Messiah redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, curses of who hangs on the tree. So that in Messiah Yeshua, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Verse 29, and if you are the Messiah, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to that promise. Heirs according to what promise? The promise that Yahweh gave to Abraham. When Yahweh, back in Genesis, when Yahweh made covenant with Abraham, he put Abraham to sleep. Who attested to the covenant that was being cut and made there? It was Yahweh himself. It says, who, who walked between the pieces? A flaming torch and an oven, a furnace. Same thing that was seen at Mount Sinai, guys. Yahweh, Yeshua. This is why Yeshua could offer this blessing to Abraham to the nations. Because he's the one who was there in Abraham's place, making the covenant for him, declaring these promises of you and your descendants. You're going to go into this land that's not yours. You're going to be there 400 years. I'm going to bring you out. I'm going to redeem you. The whole world is going to know because they're going to know who I am. And that's what Yahweh's called us. Ephesians 2, 10 to 13. For we as workmanship created in, in Messiah Yeshua two good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. You being in time past Gentiles, you that time were without the Messiah, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Messiah Yeshua, you who were far off are brought near by the blood of Yeshua, brought near by the blood of Messiah, brought near to what? We say brought near to God. You'd be right, but what exactly does it say? That these things you were far away from, you're now brought close to. You've been brought near to be a part of the commonwealth of Israel, a people called by his name, a people of covenant, a people of promise, and a people of hope. Colossians 3, 10 to 16. It says, you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but the Messiah is all in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if you have a complaint against each other, what does it say to do? Forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Verse 14, and above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Yeshua, let the peace of Messiah rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Messiah dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, thankfulness to your hearts for God. So again, now we're back to he has redeemed us. He has done all these things for us. So we approach him with thankfulness. And when we have this picture of approaching with thankfulness and praise and all this, that's the picture of coming into his courtyards. That's the picture of coming before him and worshiping him. And that's what we're looking at that we talked about here today when we addressed Leviticus 23, 9 through 16, when we talked about the first fruits. Okay. And it was brought the day after the day of rest. Right after Passover, guys, right after Pesach, this is where this offering was brought. Why? Because that's the timing of it. That's when it was given. Right after Passover, consider when, when was Yeshua crucified? When was he put in the ground? When did he resurrect? When did all these things happen? You came, you brought the fruit, and that was it. That's all there was to it. You gave it to the Kohen, he waved it. You brought it, you were brought near because of what the priest did for you. That's the testimony of what you should. That's the testimony of what happens. Uh, the first fruits, we find different places throughout the scripture where first fruits were bought. They were all brought according to the harvest times. Okay? They were all presented to be offered the day after Shabbat. An understanding, of course, that Yeshua rose from the grave on first fruits because he presented himself to the Father as the first fruits. Yahweh received him. 
Because he received him, he receives you. It's not because of what you did or what you can do, but who he's called you to be. You are who you are for no other reason than Yahweh said, you're mine. He will equip you to do what you need. All we have to do is, we make it a lot harder than all we had to do is follow. Hear his voice. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me, right? That's what we need to do. When was the first fruits presented? The day after the Shabbat. The priest came and he waved it. Leviticus 23.11 and Leviticus 23.15. From the day after you bring the sheep for the waving, then you're to count seven Shabbats through. Then you're in the time of counting towards Shavuot or Pentecost. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 and 23. But now the Messiah has risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. And he, we will all be, all be resurrected as well. Every man in his own order, Messiah the first fruits, and afterward they are the Messiahs at his coming. So Messiah is the first fruit offering. And he is the offering that is received as holy and acceptable. And he is received as holy and acceptable, then the whole harvest is received as holy and acceptable to God. Because of that, the harvest of the Messiah, who is that? Whosoever will. What's the harvest of the Messiah? Whoever comes to him. Whoever is looking for him. But how will they find him without people to go tell them? That's our job, to be in the harvest. Revelation 14, 4 and 5. Again, speaking of first fruits, these are the ones who have not defiled themselves with women for they are virgins. They follow the lamb wherever he goes. They have been ransomed from among humanity as first fruits for God and the lamb. And on their lips was found, uh, no lie was found, and they were without defect. Again, we see even in the time of revelation here that's coming, we still see an example of people being first fruits set aside to the Father. So, talking about the Moedim, how do we recap this? Passover, first off, Shabbat. Right? Shabbat, a decision to enter his rest. That's a place of covenant. We will serve him. Then Passover, again, you've been redeemed. The blood has been applied. You've been redeemed. Unleavened bread, learn to live a sinless life. Learn to live a life without the leaven, right? Then the first fruits. The first fruits is nothing more than acknowledging you are accepted because he has brought you to the Father. And now you enter this time of preparing. It's, it's, it, as we go into Shavuot, you count the seven weeks as you're counting, preparing to go into this time of Shavuot. What happened when they were in Mitzrayim? He redeemed them. He brought them out. He took them to the water. And as they went through the water, consider, guys, the baptism, the mikvah, right? They went through the water. Did the Egyptians get baptized? <laughs> Halfway. <laughs> they went down. They didn't come up. <laughs> See, he brought them through, and their deliverance, your deliverance is not complete until the things that have oppressed you. And Yahweh, when he brought them out, all the things, can you, can you imagine being there? Those that oppressed you, those that held you back, those that have kept you in bondage and slavery and all these things. Now consider your sin. All these things that the world held you bondage, the world did all these things. And as you turn around and you look and you see the water after you've gone through, you see the water come down and just completely annihilate everything that's ever held you back. But you're not done yet. Now you set your face to the mountain. Yahweh says, I'm going to meet you there. Follow me. I'm going to give you my word so that you can learn my ways. And I'm going to empower you by my spirit to walk in that so that you can fully enter the promise. Amen? That's where we're going. That's what we're looking to.